Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. The United States has faced two mass shootings less than one week apart. And though the shootings in Georgia and Colorado might seem related to the beginning of the end of this pandemic, the reality is that gun violence in the U.S. didn't actually let up this past year. According to data from the Gun Violence Archive, nearly 20,000 Americans died from gun violence in 2020. That's more than any other year in at least two decades. And yet, in order to see action around gun reform in Washington, or at least conversations about action in Washington, it often takes the horror of a deadly mass shooting rising to the forefront of American discourse. In response to the horrific events in Georgia and Colorado, President Biden has called for tightening of the country's gun laws. But we've been here with presidents before. A tragedy spurs conversations about changes in gun policy and ways to prevent these shootings. But over and over again across Democratic and Republican administrations, little reform actually happens. And we find ourselves back where we started, watching another tragedy play out. Biden, like Presidents Trump and Obama before him, has now promised change. He's considering executive actions to address gun safety, and he's called on Congress to send him legislation to strengthen background checks and to reenact a federal assault weapons ban. But before any legislation can even get to Biden's desk, it would need to pass through the Senate, where Democrats hold a razor-thin majority. Senate Democrats would need the support of some of their Republican colleagues, many of whom have previously opposed gun control measures. So how much will Biden really be able to achieve? How much power does the president have here to affect gun policy? And will this moment be any different? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. We all sadly know that this isn't the first time the U.S. has faced a mass shooting. It's not even the 20th time. As I said, we've been here many, many times before in the previous few administrations. In fact, we've even asked the same exact questions on this show before about what kind of powers a president has when it comes to combating gun violence. And regardless of the person sitting in the Oval Office, the outlines of those powers are basically the same. The president has such a powerful tool, the bully pulpit. That's actually a conversation from the last time we covered this on Can He Do That? Washington Post reporter Sung Min Kim spoke to me in August of 2020 after two mass shootings in El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio. Here, she's talking about the Trump administration. And basically, he can make the public case for any sort of gun legislation, whether it be expanded background checks, these so-called red flag laws that have become part of the conversation since the shootings in El Paso and Dayton, even some aggressive things like an assault weapons ban, although that is clearly not on the agenda anytime soon. Back in 2019, I asked Sung Min about the executive action route for presidents trying to address gun safety. 
An administration can try to act unilaterally, but the rub is that executive orders don't always stick. The Obama administration experienced the shortcomings of that approach. There was an Obama-era rule um, that dealt with certain people with mental illnesses and them having access to guns. But it was actually one of the first regulations that was overturned by the Trump administration and with Republican uh, control of Congress. Um, They were able to do that pretty quickly on, I believe it was February 2017. And that shows the danger of acting on your own because you could have a Democratic president propose certain regulations, but then you lose the White House, a Republican comes in, and he can just very quickly overturn this. So the safest route always for any president is to make legislative changes. And a lot of that comes from, again, the president using his bully pulpit. And also, particularly for President Trump, because he is so popular within the Republican Party and with the base, giving Republican lawmakers cover to vote for these kinds of bills, because Republican lawmakers could say, well, I don't want to get on the wrong side of the NRA, but if President Trump is for it and he is a Republican president, then maybe I can vote for it too. Today, a president's ability to address gun policy is rooted in the same powers. One, a president can use his position to send a strong message. Two, he can rely on executive action. Or three, he can work with Congress to pass legislation. These fundamentals haven't changed since 2019, but the political circumstances have. My colleagues at The Washington Post's daily news podcast, Post Reports, examine this moment in gun reform. Here's Post reporter Sean Sullivan and audio producer Lena Mohammed on what we've seen from Biden this week. What we heard from the president on Tuesday was basically the most detailed and forceful comments we've heard from him since he was sworn in on the issue of guns and gun control. He called for banning assault weapons and high-capacity ammunition magazines and expanding background checks during gun sales. The United States Senate, I hope some are listening, should immediately pass the two House-passed bills that close loopholes in the background check system. This is not and should not be a partisan issue. This is an American issue. It will save lives, American lives. And we have to act. We should also ban assault weapons in the process. The timing of the president's remarks is also very notable. Of course, this came less than 24 hours after this mass shooting at a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado, and less than a week after another shooting rampage in Atlanta. My name is Sean Sullivan, and I cover the White House at The Washington Post. And was this something that had been part of Biden's platform like during the campaign? Like, did he say anything about it before? Well, he did make his pitch on guns and what reforms should be made to gun laws a pretty prominent part of his campaign promise. They listed a series of steps that he planned to take as president and things that he would be spearheading. But during transition from campaigning to governing, we saw a few things happen. I mean, one, he didn't fulfill a campaign promise that he made when he was running for president. That was to send a bill to Congress on his first day in office, repealing liability protections for gun manufacturers, closing background check loopholes. We didn't see that. And it's notable that we didn't see that because we saw a whole range of other actions that Biden took right away 
when he was sworn in on a whole range of other issues, but he did not take any action on guns. And he has not to this date signed a single executive order on guns. Right. Because, you know, right when he became president, he issued a lot of executive actions. Why wasn't this issue one of them? Do we we know? One explanation I heard from talking to an administration official was, look, the House uh, members of Congress had put forward legislation already, so there was not a need to do that. But I think a lot of activists and advocates feel that, you know, there's also a, a sort of symbolic value for a president putting forward a proposed bill or signing an executive order or taking some other concrete action beyond just the the substance of it. And it sends a, a signal to people that you're serious about doing something on that issue. To be honest, it feels like, you know, we've we've been here before. I know there's not a parent in America who doesn't feel the same overwhelming grief that I do. After the mass shooting at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, then-President Obama also gave an emotional speech afterwards. The majority of those who died today were children. Uh, Beautiful little kids between the ages of 5 and 10 years old. And then again in 2019, there were two back-to-back mass shootings, and President Trump was considering background checks and red flag laws, but... How much can a president do about gun control is sort of like what I really want to know. Yeah, you're right, Lena. It does feel like we've been here before several times over the years when we've seen these horrific shootings happen. And in recent years, gun control advocates have not been successful in pushing for these new federal measures. I think what a lot of activists who want to see these laws tightened expect from the president is for the president to be visible, is for the president to talk about this, is for the president to try to pressure members of Congress in the House and in the Senate to get behind these measures and to sort of use the bully pulpit, the platform to raise awareness. In the end, it is up to Congress, if there's going to be legislation passed, whether they want to vote on things that will change these laws or not. But the president can play a big role in trying to convince these members to vote a certain way. But as you alluded to, President Obama tried that and and it didn't work. And the politics uh, of gun laws, gun restrictions are complicated. They're divisive. This is an incredibly polarizing issue. Republicans and Democrats have starkly different views on this. This is a cultural issue that for a long time has been very, very difficult to forge a consensus over. Mm. So what about executive actions? Like how much power is there in those when it comes to gun control? Like if the president were to sign an executive action, toughening the laws, like how realistic is that? Well, that's another avenue that the White House has been looking at is, okay, look, if if Congress doesn't act, if we're going to get Republican resistance on Capitol Hill that's going to block everything. What can we do using the power of executive fiat, using the legal maneuvers that we can have at our disposal right now? I mean, a couple things worth mentioning are that, you know, executive actions 
are not the same as law. They, they, they don't last forever. A new president can come in and quickly overturn those actions. And indeed, we've seen President Biden do that, right, with a lot of what President Trump and the Trump administration spearheaded. So these aren't as strong, long-lasting, and, and concrete as a law would be in that sense. But there are things that the White House can do. And in fact, some of the things they've been looking at are strengthening background checks and community anti-violence funding. There's also some discussions underway about regulating so-called ghost guns. These are devices that are made at home. They don't have serial numbers. You know, they're kind of difficult to track. So there are some measures that the White House has been exploring and they might well sign some executive orders. They haven't done so yet, so it remains to be seen. But but these are things that are not going to be as sweeping as passing a huge bill uh, in the Senate and the House that could really, really overhaul these laws. Mm. So then let, let's talk about that. So there is legislation that already passed the House that would theoretically toughen background checks. But I imagine that it would not be taken up by our current 50-50 Senate. Yeah, that's right. And the Senate really is the big obstacle right now for President Biden, not just when it comes to guns, but when it comes to a range of issues, because the House is controlled by Democrats. And as you point out, they've they've already taken steps. Um, they've already you know passed some measures, but we're already seeing that it's going to be very, very difficult in the Senate to get this stuff done for a number of reasons. I mean, one, Joe Manchin, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who was in the middle of this during the Obama years, is sort of seen as a central figure in any sort of gun negotiations, has already said he opposes, you know, these two House bills. And so already you have a Democrat saying that, which, you know, effectively sort of ends your chances off the bat of even getting to 50 votes. And because of the Senate rules, it's it's not even 50 that you would need. You would need 60 votes uh, on legislation because of the filibuster. And so, you know, even if somehow you were able to persuade Joe Manchin to change his mind or you're able to come up with some sort of new legislation that, that he might be able to support, where do you find 10 Republicans to cross over and vote with you? And that's where it looks to be all but impossible for the Democrats who are trying to spearhead these new laws because... A lot of these Republican senators have staked out positions uh, on guns, and they've stated pretty clearly that they they don't favor these new efforts, that they believe that they won't be effective in stopping these shootings. What happens in this committee after every mass shooting is Democrats propose taking away guns from law-abiding citizens, because that's their political objective. But what they propose, not only does it not reduce crime, it makes it worse. The jurisdictions in this country with the strictest gun control have among the highest rates of crime and murder. When you disarm law-abiding citizens, you make them more likely to be victims. If you want to stop these murders, go after the murderers. With the filibuster in its current form still in place, the odds are very, very long. And some would say near impossible, if not impossible, because... The Republican senators on the other side of the aisle from the Democrats, they hold very, very, very different views on guns. This is not a polarizing issue. It's a cultural issue to a lot of people. It's a regional issue. And so it's a very, very tall task. So in 2013, following the Sandy Hook shooting in Newtown, Connecticut, Democrat Joe Manchin and Republican Pat Toomey, they tried to pass a bill together 
Can you tell me a little bit about that that bill? Like, what would that legislation do? And would that have better odds now? So they proposed a, a plan to expand background checks on gun sales, which is an idea that a lot of advocates of greater restrictions on gun laws have been promoting for a long time. Of course, that effort fell short, even though it had bipartisan support. And when you look at today's Senate, it looks different than it did back in the Obama years. And one of the starkest changes is that there are fewer potential Republican crossover votes for something like that. The Senate Republican conference has in many ways become more conservative and you don't have the sort of moderate Republican senators that you had at the time. So in some ways, the Senate landscape now is more difficult than it was back then. And it was difficult back then, difficult enough that they were not able to achieve success with their proposal. And what about the NRA? Like, where does it stand in all of this? How powerful is it really nowadays? When you look at previous efforts to change the gun laws, one of the biggest impediments that people who favor changing the laws, tightening gun restrictions have faced is the NRA. The NRA has been an incredibly powerful opponent that these advocates of tightening gun laws have had to deal with. But things have changed over the years. And one of the biggest changes is that the NRA as an organization has had to deal with a lot of infighting. It's had to deal with allegations of self-dealing. So this raises a question of how powerful, how organized, and how you know strong would their resistance be if, if we started to see a new effort on Capitol Hill to pass new gun restrictions? Because the group dealing with all this internal strife is not in the same position as it was during the Obama years when we weren't seeing this stuff sort of spill into the public view. So that's that's another variable in this whole process that is definitely worth watching as we look ahead to what comes on the horizon. I'm also curious, what do we know about how Americans actually feel about gun control legislation? Well, I think there's two things that we've seen over the years that are important to keep in mind when you look at this issue. On a broad scale... There is polling to suggest that Americans, a majority of them, do favor things like expanding background checks on gun sales. And they point to this polling and say, look, this is a broadly popular thing. But the other thing that's happening is that people who oppose these new restrictions are very, very passionate about opposing those restrictions. And in many cases, they tend to be more passionate than the people who favor the new restrictions. And so this is the tension that we see every time there is an effort to pass these new gun restrictions. On one hand, you have a public that's sort of broadly favorable to these ideas. But on the other hand, you have people who are willing to protest, who are willing to speak up, who are willing to hold members accountable if they if they vote for this stuff. And you've been covering now President Biden since he was running his campaign. How prepared do you really think the Biden administration is for something like that to happen and fail again? And and what do you think they're they're going to be doing in response? Well, that's the, that's the big question to answer right now is exactly how much political capital, exactly how much of an effort we're going to see from President Biden from this White House to try to get legislation passed on Capitol Hill 
or to sign these new executive orders. I mean, it's clear that the White House has come out and said, look, we support these efforts. But it is one thing to support an effort and to make a speech saying that you support an effort. But it's another thing to really sort of put some muscle behind getting something passed. And we know from watching this president, this White House, that when they want something passed, when something is an urgent priority, they're going to put all their energy into that. They're going to put all their energy into making sure that the votes are there. They're going to wage a public pressure campaign. And the reason why we know that is they just did that on this $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. This was the top priority of this White House going in the day that he was sworn in. Uh, and even before that, aides and officials were saying this is this is what they're focused on, the pandemic. And so now we will see when it comes to guns how much effort they are willing to put in and what they think the odds of success are. And if they're going to walk down a road and the votes aren't going to be there, there's a political price to pay for that. I think the officials in the White House are, are going to have to look at the situation and if they decide look, the votes are just not going to be there, then they're going to have to decide what they're going to do next because going down a road and having a vote that fails or a bill that has to be pulled just doesn't look good for a president and it just doesn't look good for a White House, particularly one that is new and that is within its first few months. Sean Sullivan covers the White House for The Post. Ariel Plotnick produced the story. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. After listening to what my colleagues at Post Reports covered, it reminded me of one moment in my 2019 interview with Sung Min that feels strangely stuck in time. So much of her answer applies similarly today as it did years ago. I asked her at the time if after two other back-to-back devastating shootings, if that felt like a unique opportunity for change. One a smart point that one advocate pointed out to me this week was that when it comes to shootings, the public attention to them fades away so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, they happen at an unfortunately regular pace nowadays. But even with something as horrific as this, sometimes this can diminish from the public's conscious and the public's memory. So it's hard to sustain that momentum. Does the sustained focus um, stay on guns? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not convinced of that yet. Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Arjun Singh and Sharla Freeland, with logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.